Hello and welcome to the Undercut Podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Timo Albers Daily, and joining me to review all the action from Austria this weekend is none other than Jesse Bennington. How are you doing? I'm very tired. My throat is sore. I haven't had anywhere near as much sleep as I really ought to have done this weekend because I was at Le Mans for the Le Mans Classic. And I was hoping you wouldn't add the Le Mans bit onto that and we'd just be left to the illusion of what mysterious things you got up to that caused those ailments. No, I was, I was uh, stood trackside at Le Mans, got some fantastic photographs, saw some amazing racing cars. That's completely by the by. We're here to talk about uh, feeder series, aren't we? Yes, Austria. But before that, we'll get into what the hell has happened. And unfortunately, Jesse, we've got a bit of sad news to start things off with. Yes, a little bit of sad. Well, I say a little bit of sad news. A fairly um, sad story entirely coming from Freca over at the twenty-four hours of Spa. They had the warm-up races provided by was it Formula Regional European Championship by Alpine, and unfortunately, there was a crash in one of the races, which took the life of Delano van der Hoff. Uh, he was racing for MP Most Sport in the series and. By the looks of things, he had come off um, essentially Radion and uh, sort of Uru Radion and up onto the Camel Straight where he was tagged by Tim Tremnitz at the top of the section where his car was spun. So it ended up broadside to the circuit where he was unfortunately collected by Adam Fitzgerald and uh, died in the ensuing collision. It was very much something that was brought on by the rain, the spray, and the fact that for some reason, race control, the uh, stewards, the race director sent these young drivers out into treacherous conditions. We'd seen Formula One cancelled for very similar rain and spray levels and visibility issues. So, frankly, why they were out racing in those conditions is beyond me entirely. And I know that we're sort of very much treading over ground we mentioned on our sort of the main F1 podcast, but it's it's worth repeating and worth going over again that it's it's frankly shocking. And something we didn't mention in that podcast as well was that W Series, of course had a massive shunt in, in Spa, which five or six cars all coming together there in a very nasty crash in 2021, I want to say, um, at Spa because it was the precursor to the not Spa Grand Prix because it got cancelled after two laps and was counted as a race, um, yeah. which was the right decision ultimately. But again, it could have been done with just not being held altogether. Um, but that's a different matter entirely. But again, it's just these mistakes keep happening but this is a discussion we get into very much over in the f1 review episode so if you want more of us on that one we've talked that one quite a bit over on there in other news we mentioned this last week i want to say on our austrian grand preview preview. (laughs) so but it is related to formula two and formula three because Kazakh businessman vladimir kim has agreed to acquire 25 percent interest of high-tech grand prix with $4.6 billion, according to Forbes. So that's that's his valuation as a person, not how much he's investing, I don't think. I was going to um, say... Because that would be quite a hell of a lot for 25% of high-tech. That would make high-tech worth more than Alpine F1. Alpine's that only be, listed at about That's serious now. investment if it is, that's all I'm saying. Um, essentially, CEO Oliver Oaks has said that he's delighted to work with Vladimir Kim to the high-tech group, and he knows that his support will be invaluable as they seek to build on high-tech success and work towards achieving its broader ambitions over the years to come, which is very telling because there was talk of high-tech wanting to enter Formula 1 in 2026, and that's pretty much happened now because, well, not happened, happened, but they've applied to do that under the kind of opening up tender process that the FIM Formula 1 are doing. So it seems like getting Kim on board is the next step towards that, and as is the broader ambitions over the years to come that they're alluding to. 
interesting that he's from Kazakhstan, though, because MotoGP has gone there this year with the start of a new five-year deal that sees them touch down at the Sokol International Racetrack. It's located just outside Kazakhstan's largest city, Almaty, and is a brand new motorsport complex constructed in the heart of Central Asia, which, aside from the cluster of races we have in the Middle East, we just really have China as the closest thing there and Japan. We've had Formula E in India, but nothing really going back there. And South Korea is still Formula E, but we don't really have anything else going on there. So it's interesting that this happens now. And maybe depending how, if if Pytech get into F1, what that could then mean for future calendars and what they look like. And I apologize to this individual involved because I'm going to butcher your name completely. But I wanted to mention their latest racing driver worthy of note, Leboyev Ozrek Tsukumania Saya. I have no idea, and I'm very sorry about that. But she competed in F4 Southeast Asia back in 2019, where she claimed one pole position and 31 points to boot before moving into esports and going back to Kazakhstan in 2022. So they do have a bit of motorsport history. She's not the only driver, but she's the most recent, and it's going to be interesting to watch this space moving forwards, I feel. Yeah, it's it's interesting seeing sort of Formula One spike up or motorsport in general sort of spark up in that region of the world. I will say that equally they are uh, across literally across the black the Caspian Sea from Azerbaijan, so it's not all that far from. Um, but it's good to make inroads, I think. And it's interesting yeah, from it's sort of from it's, it's nearest motorsport world, but you've got to bear in mind Almaty is I'm trying to remember whether it is on a map. I don't think it's anywhere near Kazakhstan. Um, yeah, no, no, it is, but I don't think it's actually anywhere near sort of. Um, um, Azerbaijan either so it's sort of a long way from sort of the established motor racing heart of the world so it's a, a very sort of new territory to tread in if anything it's much more over towards Kyrgyzstan and towards China, for the sort of border with China Almaty it's way out in the middle of nowhere so it's a fascinating geographical choice and um, yeah lots of interesting things and lots to sort of digest and see sort of potentially this is where the new wave of interest in Formula One is going to come from is this sort of Central Asia region where we've seen sort of previous influx come from very much the Saudi Peninsula so yeah it's certainly an interesting one to keep an eye on moving forwards uh, we'll move into the main content of the feeder series podcast which after my weekend spent in france stood trackside didn't actually get a chance to even watch any of the feeder series contents this is going to be very much team hotels jesse what on earth went on so uh, we'll start with formula two and uh, the qualifying yeah victor martin's got pole which nice little tied lap by him. And over in F3, Guasorsi got pole there. So again, I think it was his first pole position in Formula 3, so that was very nicely done by him. And it was nice to see Martins putting together a good lap and showing a lot of potential there. The rest of the weekend didn't quite go his way, as we'll get to in a little bit, but it was nice to see that at least the qualifying pace is, is coming together because with the reverse grids, you do automatically then start a bit lower down, but it's still within the top 10. You don't have as much ground to make up. And obviously in F3, it's very crucial to try and get that qualifying correct because you're going to be fighting through 10 more cars, potentially, depending how bad you do. Um, the sprint race for F2 was was decent, to be fair. It was mixed conditions, kept things entertaining, and it was a nice kind of second part of the day because F3 was obviously beforehand. And we had Jack Crawford finally getting an F2 win there. That was really nice to see for him. Victor Martins in P2 and Isaac Hadjar then ended up in P3 because Novelak got disqualified after finishing in P3 and kind of putting on a an uncharacteristic race from him, shall we say, from what we've come to expect from him. 
So it did seem a little bit amusing that he then got disqualified because it was found that he had the wrong tyre pressures in his car. So the team buggered him a little bit on that one. Um, unfortunate, but it is one of those kind of slam dunk rules there, which makes sense as for a reason to, to, to disqualify someone. Hanshaw, I'm sure, wasn't complaining about that one. No, almost certainly not. Um, I will flick back quickly to the Formula 3 qualifying, which was, by all accounts, quite chaotic, with sort of a huge field going around playing very much DRS chicken and sort of looking to try and get the toe around there. The Formula 3 cars are quite aerodynamically messy and the toe can really impact your sort of a lap and lap time. So it was fantastic to see sort of some drivers just absolutely sort of sprinting from the pack right on the run up to turn three to try and get away from everyone so they're not towing the entire field. Um, just just a bit of chaos. With there. that amount of cars on track is not an easy thing to do. It, visually, it looked absolutely bonkers, but it was, yeah, very, very interesting to say. Um, dabbling into, going back to Formula 2 then quickly, I, I didn't want to leave that one untouched. Um, Formula 2, the feature race, how did that pan out? It was, I didn't trust the result when it first happened because Richard Vassour won and he won the feature race last year and then got disqualified because he didn't have enough fuel left in his engine, for example. So I was like, oh no, are we going to, we're going to have a repeat of that? Or is this, Alex Jakes was saying redemption over the line as he was kind of like, don't say it yet, wait for like 24 hours to pass first and then we can actually celebrate because I don't trust it yet. But he has kept the win. So it was good. And it was a bit of a dull race for the first 30 laps of 40, but it did really come alive for the last 10 and became proper Formula 2 again. And it was this interesting thing of some cars kind of, they pitted, stuck on some new fresh tyres, and it wasn't quite Budapest last year, but it was a, a worthy kind of attempt at it in the last 10 laps to see who could make their way up the grid. And it was Iwasa and Vesti essentially doing that and getting past drivers with such incredible ease. It was ridiculous. And I mean, it's a very short lap at Spielberg, as you know. So to see them just chopping up anyone who got in their path there was was excellent. And it ended up with Iwasa in P2. And again, showing he he really wants a, a go at that Alpha Tauri as he becomes available next year. And Vesti he didn't have a bad weekend overall, but again, this is exactly the kind of result he needs if he wants to keep hold of P1 in the standings, which he is doing. So it was very nice to see that consistency there in Porsche not making onto the podium. Bad for him. Very good for his two main title contenders who were in P2 and P3 in the race. Yeah, it's sort of a bit of a jumbled up order. Nice to get to see Richard Vershaw obviously getting that redemption after a fairly torrid run last year around Austria. And they had a bit of a mixed season this year as well, to be perfectly honest. Yeah. So it's nice to see that at least the track where he wins properly and gets to keep it is the one where he is known to be good. And Richard Vershaw, Dutch as well. So plenty of Dutch yes. fans in the grandstands, obviously. Wait, there were some noticeable cheers as he was overtaking yeah. various people for the lead. Yeah, so it's sort of nice to see that sort of support as well trickling down into the feeder series. But yeah, for Iwasa and Vesti, this is a, a title fight that's really going to sort of rumble on for a good few more rounds and it, it's great to see some really talented drivers when they're given the equipment against the field can properly show off what they're doing. It is an interesting thing with the Wasser as well that I I don't think he will win the title, but it's interesting that he's keeping in such close contact with it. I mean, he's very much in touching distance off board chair. He's only four points away from him now, if my memory is correct. And Vesti is up the road a bit, but it's still doable with the amount of races we've got left. And we see stuff go crazy in Formula 2 as we get to the end, especially as we've got this big gap between the penultimate and the final round. So 
it's going to be very interesting to see. I mean, he's he's kind of the outside shot at it still, but it's it's going to be fascinating to watch that for sure. Um, and there's my little for sure pun for you. So happy mm. days. Um, with Iwasa, over... would you say he's hampered by his team because he's with Dams, isn't he? Dams, say, yes. yeah. Who completely well, he doesn't have much to... competition, to be honest. With well, his they completely forgot to Leclerc. tighten up one of Leclerc's wheels at one point, though, didn't they? So, it's yes, like it's... he's operating at the best team available. No, but I think he's making the best out of it, considering the circumstances. And he doesn't have anything to really worry about from Leclerc, from what we've seen from him this season. Um, so I think he's just, as long as his side of the garage is in order, then even if he has a bad qualifying, he can make up with that. As Because he started quite a way down in, in the future race anyway. So I think it's it's just how much you let all the circumstances around you bother you and how much you just get on with the job in hand and say, right, we're just going to do this and get on with it. Fantastic. So we'll see how the rest of that championship pans out through the year. Formula Three, though, the sprint race, an interesting looking Very mixed conditions. Yes, very mixed conditions. So it was a pretty decent race of what you'd expect from Formula Three there. But again, it was a it was a different podium there. But Paul Laron was just very impressive and Mercedes are going to be very happy with him there. He won the race and was just kind of in a league of his own there. Gabriel Mini was in P2, Kyle Collette then in P3. And yeah, no, just a really kind of it was Pepe Marti looked really strong for a bit there, but then just towards the end, he, he was leading for a lot of it, and it just kind of it came away from him, unfortunately. And it was really unfortunate to see because he was just doing such a mega job up to that point, and then he just started tumbling down the order, and there wasn't too much he could do about it. So, um, but Aaron as well, he just kind of bided his time, was there at the right place when it was when he was able to get past and that's exactly what he did and that's what you want from a racing driver who you're looking at maybe putting into f2 next year or maybe if he's gonna if he doesn't go for a title run this year because it's still a little bit up in the air as to if anyone can catch portaletto then maybe who knows it's still formula three i can't rule anything out but if not it's a good setup for for next year yeah there's there's some good things lining up in that sort of Formula 3 category and some decent talent is really starting to come to the top of it at the moment. There's very much that sort of saying of the cream always rises to the top and Formula 3 this season is very much proving that with some interesting names and drives. It felt like Formula uh, 3 woke up a bit because it's it's not been a dull season, but it's not felt like it's had the complete spark that Formula 3's had in previous years. But this weekend, definitely, for the most part, had that I, I feel like. So with Silverstone and Hungary and Spiral coming up now as kind of we get ever closer to the end of the season with with it as we head towards Monza it's it's going to get crunch time it's going to be very interesting to see what happens there hmm. so the feature race was it mixed conditions for that or was it finally a little more settled that was a bit more settled but there was still a lot going on and it was very entertaining with just overtaking an action up and down the grid and it was some classic Formula 3 and if we ignore certain elements after the race for a race itself, where you just base it on what happened on track, it was probably one of the better ones we've had, period. Especially for just dry and just 30 drivers going at it, hammer and tongs. You had retirements left, right and centre, but not obvious ones and kind of little tags here and there and just a lot of tumbling down the order and just little mistakes costing people and other drivers then being able to capitalise on that because they're very much wanting to make sure that they can take these opportunities where they can and just run with them and you're rooting for all these underdogs to do well then. So it's kind of lovely to see all over the place. And Zach O'Sullivan got his first proper win. He inherited the win, I think, in Australia after 
uh, drove about disqualified, but he actually won a proper race this time, feature race. So that was nice. Waterletta then back on the podium, P2, extended championship lead. Kyle Collette, again, P3. Solid performance from him there. And uh, yeah, the race was ruined a little bit by the post-race modifications, which we'll get to in a little bit. But as a race that you just watch for a race, very good. So you speak about sort of all these sort of post-race sort of tweaks and changes and things that sort of came in. What what was the cause of all this? What was all the what was all the furore and the disruption? Well, to do that, I will have to skip a section. We'll go back to drivers that stood out for me, and I will go down to Flush Watch because um, I don't know how much of any of this you would have seen on social media at all. And if I've not, seen allowed, the headlines. Well, qualify P twenty one. Sprint race finished P18, decent. Mm. Feature race capitalized on the chaos beautifully and just did a slapper banger of a job. It was just just awesome. P9 on track. First points. First points for a woman in Formula 3. PHM slash Sharu's first points in three years. Mm. And just kind of everyone, everyone loved that. It was kind of don't. There's there's nothing to dislike about this. Then again, many many hours later, when you think surely we should have known about this a little bit sooner, what else are you doing? She got disqualified from the feature race for a technical infringement that her front and rear wing end plates were not correctly aligned. At this point, we're thinking, okay, that's really quite bad, but that's the team. That's they've not checked something at the beginning of the race and pre-race engineering somehow. Because I'm sure that people from the FIA stewards have to check all this stuff as well anyway. Somehow that's been missed. Really annoying, but fun. Turns out, though, this was due to damage she received during the race, which seems incredibly harsh to me to disqualify someone for that. She went over a curb somewhere and it just it hit one of the end plates and it's just it's misaligned it for that reason. So essentially, she's got done for having damage on her car, but it wasn't detrimental to the safety of others wasn't giving her any kind of advantage and just seems really, really poo, to be perfect. And I've been looking back to try and see if there's been any other equally frustrating, shall we say, infringements where it's resulted in disqualification. And if there are any of this kind of silly nature, they're hiding them very well. Because the few that I've got, you've got Colapinto Boy and Edgar got disqualified back in Australia this year. That was because the steward said that during park Fermi checks following the sprint race, the keel of the bodywork on all three cars was different in its geometry from the spare parts catalogue and not in conformity with the Dallara user manual. Fair enough. Your part is not like for like. Annoying. Maybe disqualification is a little bit harsh, but that's pretty much slam dunk. Understandable. Fine. Not anything that happened during the race itself. Back in 2019, qualifying in Austria, Lundgaard and Beckmann's, their, their physios were seen holding cooling devices towards the cars, which the stewards deemed against regulations, as the physios were not part of the 11-member team allowed to work on the car, as per three regulations. And as they were not on the staff list, they was against the rules, and they got disqualified. Again, kind of, again, disqualified qualifying, bear in mind, not even the race, but again, kind of an obvious thing there. F2, as we just mentioned, Novelak got disqualified because of the tyre regularities, but again, that's the team letting him down more than anything. F3 in Monza last year, Iwas's car failed to pass post-race scrutineering as the plank beneath was found to be below the required thickness of 5mm. Again, that's not something that's just disappeared during the race. That will have been there beforehand. That's not just... It's not just something that happens. 
where you just lose that. You've got to be doing a very specific kind of accident on track to get that kind of damage that doesn't sustain any damage to anywhere else. Um, and then left to in the form, we've had for sure an Austrian Vettel Hungary having just been disqualified because of insufficient fuel samples and Renault in F1 in 2019 Japan getting disqualified for illegal brakes. But again, this all makes sense as to why you would disqualify someone. From what I can see, nothing of this type has actually happened in recent history. And it seems ridiculous to disqualify someone over that because by that logic, Hamilton should have been disqualified in 2020 back in Silverstone because of the damage that he had on his car there. And if they haven't already, which I've not seen that they have, PHM should protest because of all the silliness that the stewards and the FIA have done over the years, and we've talked about it plenty on many a podcast, this is where I think I'm going to make my stand on things because what advantage are you gaining from this? And why is this? Why have we, this? It just seems so absurd. Yeah, it seems like a very, very harsh disqualification for essentially receiving racing damage it's i don't know yeah, back in the old days if you finished a race and you'd on with a damaged car you'd be like what a heroic drive they managed to do that with that and it wasn't even that bad a damage it was just slight misalignment and you're like really you're disqualifying yeah, someone it's, for this it's, and it's, after such a heroic drive I'm like fair and like if you have to five second penalty or something if it still drops throughout the points fine but at least you're going to but disqualification just seems so ridiculously stupid it seems a little over the top and it's unfair on the driver if it is a genuine sort of error from the team on setup. Like it's it's one of those yeah, things kind of, of how it's, to... If it's a team thing, it's, it's fair enough. Like they, they cocked up, but it's not like she saw another car and thought, I'm going to drive into you or to see this go, I'm going to drive into this at just the right angle just to do this because I think it'll make me quicker and that'll get me to P9. It can't possibly be the fact that I'm a racing driver with years of experience and I might know my way around this track and be able to avoid all this other carnage going around the place. Mm, it's, this brings back to something on fairly something we've mentioned before and it's this thing of how do you penalise teams without penalising drivers when it's an issue that's not stemmed from the driver on track where... Let the driver keep the be... points and make the constructor not have the points. I think it, it's... It, surely that you can do that, but it's strange that they'd sort of shy away from doing that um that sort of blasts through that little bothers me. It bothers me though jesse it bothers me and oh, i'm gonna God. keep bringing it up over and over again until... i can tell it bothers you um but for P9. you the... point yeah i know it's annoying um point. regardless i haven't really because i've actually seen anything i don't think it's fair for me to try and dish out drivers that stood out but you've got one for um, i know you can the... stand out for f3 she's good sophia flush she did a cracking job that's who you can put down for drivers today yeah, that's right that's <laughs> what i'll get behind you who i can put down um but who would you put down who would you say is your other driver from formula three that really stood out Colette, to be honest two p3s nice and consistent so just did a slap up job there. He's kind of a driver we thought would get promoted to F2 this year and was kind of the guy that got left behind, which was a bit weird when you saw some of the drivers get promoted to F2 that uh, Flush outscored in this race alone already. Um, and so, yeah, Kyle Collette for me, slam dunk. Mm. And then in Formula 2, uh, your sort of standout driver for that one? Little left field, Juan Manuel Correa for me. He got P4 in the sprint and only missed out on the podium by like a slim, slim margin. It was a lap or two towards the end where he lost it, just getting overtaken the tyres were done, I think, and he just couldn't put up much of a fight, unfortunately. But it would have been so nice to get him back on the podium. And I, with, with how close he was there, it's got to be coming at some point this season. 
it's it's going to be coming this season. His form is really getting back onto it. He's got a team that's behind him and is producing some sort of good cars for the race weekends as they come along. So it's it's a matter of time till we get that Correo podium, certainly. Um, fun fun oh, fact, though, as well, before I finish off there, that um, the two points that she scored were more than both of her F2 counterparts in the same team have been able to score all season combined. So... And all of, and two more points than Brad Benavides scored in all of F three last year. So by this logic, she should be moving up next year. So you heard it here first. Mm. We'll wait and see what happens there. Meanwhile, over in Indy NXT, uh, we also mentioned this on the main podcast. Jamie Chadwick scored her first top ten finish in Mid Ohio, which is lovely to see. She's got her feet under the table there. It's going well and. She's sort of picking up the form and getting used to the style of car and the style of circuit they're racing on. Um, Mid-Ohio is a fairly busy little track with some tight sections, so to sort of prove you've got it there on a very European and it circuit. caught out a couple of other drivers away who you weren't expecting as much, though. Matteo Nanini, for example, he spun out and had a bit of an issue there and, and wasn't able to finish, so it's it's good to see that it's not a, an easy track, per mm. se, and... She's got a very distinctive livery as well, so it's easy to find Dury on the highlights or if you're watching the race live, so it's good to keep track of her because sometimes you're you're always... That's that's the trickiest part of it, and like, oh, which one is she? But everything's going... It's it's building up nicely for her, and it's just lovely to see that. Well, even in the big leagues for IndyCar, Mid-Ohio is a fairly technical circuit, and it really sort of Mm -hmm. caught out a few drivers this weekend. We saw in the opening lap the two Swedes getting wiped out. Yeah. So it's, yeah, no mean feat getting some points there, especially if you're in your first year in IndyCar, or at least in Indy NXT in this case. So we'll shuffle on to the top standings or the top three standings for both series drivers and constructors. Timo, this is your little section to run through. Yeah, so as we mentioned, the, the title battle in F2 is heating up rather nicely. Vesti is still leading, but with 125 points now, 20 points clear of Porcher in P2. He's on 105, and Iwasa just creeping up behind him with 101 points. It's going to be very interesting to see what that looks like come the end of the penultimate round to see what kind of a battle we're going to get in Abu Dhabi. So that's going to be some very tasty stuff there indeed. Constructors-wise... It's not slam dunk yet, but it's looking a certain way. Prima racing out in front with 206 points. ART Grand Prix in second with 163 points. And Dams trading in third with 137 points. Over in Formula 3, we've got Bortoletto still out in the lead. And he's got to have a fairly torrid time of it to lose his championship, I think, which now means I've probably cursed him. Sorry about that. He's out in front with 111 points with Pepe Marti in second place with 75 points. So it's a big gulf to make up. Beganovic is now in joint second place with him, but he's in P3 on the overall standings with Countback, who's got also 75 points, but very interesting there. Sacco Sullivan, it's worth noting, is very close behind, only a couple points behind in P4. So that race wind obviously helped him out, and the experience may come back just to just to boost things at the end of the end of the season, because Formula 3 is never over until it's over. It's certainly a long way to go in the fact that Formula 3 is that unpredictable. There's not many rounds left on their calendar in the grand scheme of things, but there's still plenty of chance for things to go a little bit awry. Constructors-wise, we've also got Premier Racing out in lead with 213 points. It looks like they might have that wrapped up there as well. Trident in P2 with 171 points in their league of their own as well because high-tech pulsated back in the third with 128 points. So some big golfs, but again, there could be some massive swings coming because there could we only need one crazy weekend of action and who knows how that might 
just upset the apple cart accordingly. But it's a very good time to be an F2 and F3 fan. We've got Silverstone next, then Hungary, Spa, and Zandvoort straight away after some break. And then Monza, obviously, to finish things off for Formula 3. So it's all very much rapid fire now and just foot to the floor racing, I think. There is a lot still to play for. Um, now we can wrap up this week's feeder series podcast um, that's all we've got time for on this week's episode we'll be back after Silverstone with more feeder series content for certain as we've got F2 and F3 heading over there um, so make sure you've liked subscribed and got notifications turned on to not miss anything Timo where can the people find you you can find me everyone is it fast on the curbs the natural RX podcast panic sorority and of course Instagram what about yourself Jesse you can find me on uh, Twitter and Instagram, where there's plenty of interesting pictures from my weekend at the Le Mans Classic coming up on there, as well as writing for Classic Car Weekly. Plenty of interesting written bits and pieces there too. Um, I think that pretty much covers me off nicely. So without further ado, thank you very much for listening and we'll see you again after Silverstone.